Okay. Yeah. All right. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is codenamed PV. PV has worked within the California public education sector for a number of years now, and we speak about how gender ideology has encroached into California public education and how certain schools within America, and these are public schools, mind you, are allowing children to choose new names and their own gender and where they go to the bathroom and hiding that from their parents. PV lays out what parents should be looking for if they are at all worried about this and how to go about challenging and perhaps changing how gender ideology and other very far leftist or progressive ideologies are advancing through the public education system. One popular method is showing up at the school board meeting and making something viral occur, but there are other ways of going about changing these public institutions, albeit a little bit more subtle and might take more commitment and a longer time to take effect, or at least will do much more than just splashy headlines and a bunch of numbers on a video floating through the internet. This was a very educational conversation for me, and I know that there are a number of parents that will appreciate PV's point of view from within side that system. So without further ado, here is PV. So what do you want to tackle? What do you think people should know about? Well, um, what I see in these conversations around um, um, schools and gender and gender curriculum, um, it's there's often kind of a flattening. There's no nuance and there's a lack of understanding of what's going on on the district side. And so um, I have a unique perspective in that um, I served on a school board for over 10 years and um, of a K-12 district in California. And so I was, I got the training that the teachers and site administrators got around things like DEI and, um, and gender identity. And then I had a kid of my own. I thought I knew from my training, what it all was, (laughs) you know, educators think that they know what this is. Um, And then it comes into your own family. You're like, wait a second. Um, What you're describing to me is not what I learned about in my training. And what I see is that a lot of times parents are intimidated to try to address it at their local district, or they address it in a way that is so um, angry that it's actually less likely to be effective um, and I'm hoping that in our conversation that we can, you know, we can touch on some of those ways that, you know, parents may be more effective in first figuring out what is being taught at their school, um, in ways that don't raise the hackles of the, uh, educators there and that, um, can try to kind of protect their kids from some of the prevailing views that are out there, um, so I hope that we can touch on that today. Okay. Um, when was the first time that this gender stuff landed uh, against your radar? Well, I would say it was five years ago. 
um, which which is funny now um, because I just went back and looked in, in California. I was looking at the um, state education code. Uh, um, they have a simple definition of gender, or they think it's a simple definition of gender. Um, and it's actually, uh, I don't know if you've heard the California Ed Code, gender definition means sex and includes a person's gender identity and gender expression. Gender expression means a person's gender-related appearance and behavior, whether or not stereotypically associated with a person's assigned sex at birth, which is straight out of like bizarro land and doesn't mean anything and goes in circles. And I looked at that and thought, wow, that's, you know, when did they put that in? Well, they actually put that in in 2011. So that was 10 years ago. And I had no idea. Um, And, so it was clearly percolating behind the scenes. It was percolating at the state level, um, but it hadn't started to drip down to local school boards. Um, and I'm in a very progressive district, very blue. Um, I was elected as a, um, a, a Democrat and, um, you know, just just hadn't heard about any of this. Five years ago is when I got my first training on uh, what we were talking, you know, transgender children, you know, it had started to appear on the cover of Time Magazine, National Geographic, things were starting to to percolate in the national media. Um, But we had a local, a a training for, for, for educators by a local nonprofit that focused on trans issues. And that's where, you know, I was first introduced to the gender bred person and, you know, the whole idea that, you know, your sexual orientation is different from your gender identity. And I was like, oh, okay. And when I was listening to it, I thought what I think most people do think that it's something that typically, you know, younger kids go through. And you, you know this about a, a kid when they're five or six years old. I had no idea that it was starting to like jump up in the teen and uh, tween age groups, completely clueless. Um, and then about a year after that, so unbeknownst to me, that same group, it turned out, and I was on the school board, that same group was going in to our local schools, the, the Gay Street Alliances at our junior highs and high schools, was calling that group in and having them present to the students. And, um, and the students were all like, whoa, you know, uh, if it, you know, so it turns out that if I feel uncomfortable in my body and my body's changing and I don't like that and I wish that I were the opposite sex, that that means I'm trans. And um, my own daughter came to me a year later and said, at that point, she was 13 and said, oh, mom, you know, I think I'm trans. And I was like, oh, I've had training. I know what this is. Um, and then she started talking to me. So the issue is I have two older sons. And so when I said to me, to her, tell me more about this, I feel like a boy thing that you're, what does that mean? And she couldn't describe anything. It was the first time I realized that there was nothing there. Um, And she, she, I was like, wow, you know, you actually, you have two older brothers, you're not sounding, you know, is there something about them that you relate to? And she's like, well, how are they different from me? And so I started to describe to her what a 13-year-old boy is like. (laughs) Um, And 
uh, you know, obviously there's a whole range of the way 13 year old behave, uh, boys behave, but there are some similarities. My sons are actually quite different from each other, but you know, they were both at 13, uh, you know, didn't care, for example, about bathing. They were completely obsessed with sex. And there was, you know, there were some, there's things happening to their bodies that were changing in a way that, that actually did make them behave quite differently from the way she behaves uh, and continues to behave. And I described them and my 13 year old daughter was utterly horrified. But to her, I, I think I've come to realize over time and it took me a long time to figure out what, what where she was coming from, to find alternative viewpoints on this. Um, I finally came to realize that, that it was really about a rejection of being a girl more than it was an understanding of what it means to be male. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that took me some time and it was really hard. Five years ago, I was like, I'm so grateful, Benjamin, for your videos, for um, you know, Fourth Wave Now, for Transgender Trend in the UK. Um, it took so many Google searches to get search terms in that would bring me alternative voices because everything that parents heard back then was affirmative. And um, I think it is easier now for parents to find alternatives. Um, But at the same time in the schools, uh, it has just become more and more pervasive. Um, the, the, The type of um, training around gender identity that they do, um, and the the beliefs that many educators have around it, it is um, it's just pervasive. And uh, and kids in California are are being introduced to this these ideas at a younger and younger age. Um, and so I think parents need to understand what what educators are learning um, and how to some methods for protecting their own kids from it. Because if I could go back in time to when I was the parent of a 10 year old girl, there are some things that I know that I could have done to inoculate her Hmm. um, that I didn't, because I didn't know I needed to, because I didn't, you know, I had no idea this was down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what were those things generally like questions to ask or Resources. You know, I think I think that you can start with you know there there are some books for very young children. There are some books out there that are very very bad, like I Am Jazz, for example. They're just like they reinforce sex stereotypes. Um, and you know, if if you wear pink, it means that you're you think maybe it's maybe you're a girl. Um, but there's some really good picture books out there. Of course, uh, Rachel Rooney's My Body Is Me is a classic, but there, there are also other ones. Um, Pink is for Boys is an example. Um, and even with very young children, you can be talking about how, you know, some people like this, uh, you know, to wear things this way and some wear things that way. But, you know, there's male and female. Your bodies don't ever change. And it's okay to be whatever you want and to dress however you want. And you may hear in school that it, if somebody, if a boy likes to wear dresses, that means he's a, really a girl, but that's really a misunderstanding. And you, you can phrase it and couch it in whatever language that your child is ready for. But if I could go back and tell a 10-year-old girl that, you know, if you don't like to shave your legs, if it turns out you're frightened of razors and your period freaks you out, um, that's just really what a lot of girls go through. And we can talk about that when the time comes. Um, and and just reframe it so that it's not um, so it's normalized to talk about this 
And then also just keep saying, you're going to hear at school. You may hear things at school. People may have these kinds of views, but really that's not foundationally what's going on. Um, and they, they, they tend to have other problems with it and, and just really address it frankly at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not so well, you know, and it's okay. If your kid goes to school and says, my mom says that what you're saying is wrong, then you can have a conference with the teacher and explain why you think what's going on is wrong. But just, you know, don't, don't be unaware. Don't be clueless about what's, happen- what's happening at your kid's school. It's happening at every public and private school across this country. Um, and don't think that you don't need to address it, that it's something that you can leave to the teachers because you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a kid who is facing puberty, if you have a kid who is going through other, if there's family trauma, if they have other types of mental health issues, if they are neurodivergent in any way, then you have a kid who's at risk of thinking that, um, you know, maybe a gender identity is what I need, a new gender identity, and that will make me feel better um, because I can't fix these other problems that I have, and I can instead redirect all my thinking and thoughts to to this issue. Um, parents need to be really proactive on this. It is rather obvious, but maybe that's just because I've been listening to voices like yours and uh, young women specifically and some young men who have gone through uh, varying degrees of wrestling with their gender. But when you were speaking about your daughter coming to you thinking, proposing the idea that she's a boy, that she had no actual idea what a boy is. Like the biology lesson has not been given to her, but this identity lesson has. So she doesn't actually know what she's opting into. Either that or, well, they're hiding it or they're misplacing it. They're not talking about women puberty, women's puberty, men's puberty, and they're instead talking about basically these profiles that you can be. And that's what means, and that means what you are in some way. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I, I, I think that some of the teachers, so in California, the law says um, in health education that you're supposed to challenge sex stereotypes but a lot of teachers are confused about that. They're as confused as the trans activists are. And that is, you know, they don't recognize that instead of challenging sex stereotypes, they're, you know, essentially making them concrete and reifying them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the materials that I've mm-hmm. seen come through um, at the school board level um, you know, they said things like um, they talked about um, gender stereotypes, like boys like to play football and wear blue and girls like to wear pink and play um, field hockey. I mean, I've literally seen these things. And um, that's all they said. So they'd get material through that said, this is this is a male stereotype and this is a female stereotype, but there's no challenge to the stereotype. There was no point in any of the lessons or the curriculum that said, but you know what, you know, some boys like to ice dance and <laughs> Mm-hmm. And some girls like to play football. They never actually mm-hmm. take that next step. They stay back a level. And I think um, my daughter was getting that when when um, the local nonprofit came um, 
that was the message that she was getting that um, that this is that there's a scale sort of masculine and feminine expression and you this is you know you need you pick a place on that scale um, and it might mean that you're changing your gender identity based on that. Um, but I also think it's very, you know, some of the things that they learn are either overly sexualized. Um, so some of the middle school curriculum has like very graphic lessons that are available on things like anal sex. Um, and then also kind of peculiarly sterile um, because they, they now no longer um, teach about puberty, for example, at the junior high level. They, they teach it in one group. They used to to separate mm -hmm. by sex. And you probably remember that, that you, there was a time when you went with all the boys and you learned about things that were going to be changing with your body. Um, they, they worry that that um, may uh, stress kids out who are non-binary um, and they worry that it's not inclusive. And so they want to have those lessons all together. Hmm. Um, so with that, as you might imagine, um, kids are much less likely to ask questions and or to go into great detail about those those gory um, things that happen. And so I think it really does both males and female young adolescents a disservice um, because it's not um, it's much less likely to be a safe space where you can ask real questions about what's going on. And so while I think my daughter as a 12 and 13 year old learned about male puberty, it was not in any great detail. And what her, her brothers are older than her. So she, you know, she was seeing the cool, um, you know, 18 year old when she was um, a 12 and 13 year old and thought, oh, that's awesome. Right. Um, but she had not Reckon, you know, she had not been paying attention when he was going through all the horrible stages that he went through. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's I, I really think kids are it's you know it's a disservice to these young kids and that they really don't understand. Yeah, have you seen resources on this non-binary thing, how it's being taught to teachers and to people who work at schools? Is there a concrete well, definition? Uh, a concrete definition. Um, so when you look at, for example, the Cal California health education framework, um, and this is probably similar in many blue states, um, the gender identity tends to be, it's still kind of a circular definition and it's just about how it's more about expression and, and they just say that it's an identity. Um, they don't define what they mean by identity. Um, and they include things like using, you know, you should use they, them pronouns to be either gender neutral whenever you can. Um, you know, starting by the, the, the middle school level in California, they really want to, um, make sure that nothing is normalized, that no behavior is normalized in the sense that like, it's not normal. <laughs> you, they don't want you to think that it's normal for there to be husbands and wives, for example, mm -hmm. or for you to be married and have a bare, you know, they want you to refer to partners, you know, at the middle school level, the health education says, you know, <laughs> these students may not be monogamous. And so you don't want to judge that. Um, and, and you should talk about partners um, and, you know, you know, you don't want to label sexes or anything like that. And so um, non, it doesn't really have of, a good. That is a consequence of normalizing the unnormal, though. So, yes. A, what they're trying way. to do is make it so if you if you if you are and in, in some ways it's beautifully inclusive, 
Um, if you are a young, very young LGBT uh, person, or if you are very young and very sexually active, um, and uh, the the state doesn't want you to um, judge that or to create an atmosphere in the school setting where you're judging that. Um, and that can be so helpful in, in some ways. And in other ways, it can be kind of a little bit, it's probably a little bit developmentally too much for like the 12 year old, 13 year old. Um, there's kind of a funky thing that I see in California where they have different expectations for you know six, seven, eight than they do for ninth through twelfth graders for high schoolers, um, and yet the the curriculum providers actually pretty much provide the same materials, um, and I've seen that again and again where it's just like oh this is this is actually a high school curriculum on um, health education, but they've just put middle school in front of it. Um, and hmm. it's, it's really the same information. Hmm. Yeah. So when, what are some of the signs that, okay, well, earlier you said that parents just need to be aware and proactive because this is going to be there. They no do. Matter. And I, yeah. and I, it's going to be there no matter what. And I don't think you like, you need, I don't think you need to homeschool. I don't think, and frankly, it's in homeschooling groups. Um, and I don't think you need to pull your kid out of school. Um, if, if I were an elementary and uh, junior high parent, I would be going in um, towards the beginning of the year and just saying to my teacher, my child's teacher, you know, I, I am paying attention to some of the new uh, uh, health education material that's coming in. I'm concerned that some of the things that the school is teaching around gender identity in particular might not be very scientific. And so first of all, can you show me what it is that you're using? And um, based on that, can I you know, have a follow-up meeting with you? Because I would really like to see what's going on. And most teachers, when you couch it that way, are going to be pretty open to at least uh, letting you see the materials. Um, you know, you have a right to see the materials anyway, but you, normally you would take care of that at the school district office. But it's just, it's more, I, I mean, I whenever possible, I was like, protect your own kid and take care of it at the ground level. Um, some of the things that a school district may bring in, like your individual teacher looks at it and would never in a million years touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, you know, they're going to take the, the bare bones, what they're required to, to teach in the law, and they're not going to go any deeper into any of these things that are very problematic. Um, they recognize that. And so if you can have an individual conversation with a teacher, that is something I would do. I mean, I would be inoculating my kid at home, and I would be talking individually with the teacher Um at the beginning of the school year, and I would do it every year. Um, and, and then when you look at those materials and you see that there are problems, I think it's very fair to, um, you know, to be writing to your school board, to be talking to your site principal. But I'm, I'm also very aware because I live in such a blue area, a very blue area of a very blue state, that um, some people will shut down around that, that it shuts off the conversation, um, that you have to be very careful about the wording. Um, I find, and I, and I have to say that I use my transparent privilege on this. I will often in a discussion say, you know, I'm a parent of a trans child and you don't need 
to be unscientific to support trans kids, that you can be loving and inclusive without spreading scientific misinformation. Um, and people are much more likely to hear that from me uh, when I've said I'm the mother of a trans child um, than they are uh, from just, well, particularly like at the school board level, uh, you know, I watch these meetings sometimes now that I'm not off on the board anymore. And I understand the concern from the right, but when people come in left or right and you yell and scream at your school board, I mean, I, do people, do adults really need the lesson that you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar? I mean, it shocks me what people think is going to be productive. Yelling and screaming at your local elected is not productive. It's just not. And um, it's much more it's much more effective and you build, even if you can't get something taken care of immediately, because let me tell you, I mean, I know that there are other Democrats that agree with me on, on where things are in terms of gender identity curriculum, but they, they can't, I mean, there's so much pressure if you're elected right now to toe the party line um, that mm. if you want to have if you want to like either hold a line somewhere or make some change, you have to be doing it behind the scenes. You can't do it out in public. And so um, I think people need to give some of their local electeds grace to do that and not attack them out in public and just have a behind the scenes conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my goodness. Some of the stuff I've seen these days, I'm like, holy cow. But I'm Wait, are you talking about anymore. like uh, these uh, school board meetings and <laughs> the stuff? Like school that? board meetings, you I've know, and, so it's, and it goes both ways. It goes both ways. I've seen the ones where it's just like, you know, you're trying to destroy healthcare for trans kids. And I've seen ones where it's just like you're trying to, you know, indoctrinate my child. It's, you know, I understand mm -hmm. parents' emotions run high, but when your emotions are running high is, and you, you just need to kind of step back, calm back, pay, you know, calm down, pace yourself and um, think about, you know, what kind of bridge can I build with this person, with my local board is, or who's on that board that I might be able to arrange a meeting with um, and just like talk about this calmly because they're just much more likely to um, to hear you and maybe in the future or to notice when when something's coming through that is unscientific because sometimes you know they've just they've all had the same training that I have they believe it they think that what they're doing is helping kids and they don't recognize the harm they're doing um, they really think that they're that they're there to support kids Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How do you detect scientific misinformation or unscientific information? Oh, my goodness. Well, some of it is so obvious. Um, <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it says some of the curricula. And so, so the, the California, your state level um, framework may make it so that it is just um, the options that come to you at a local level are limited because they're so like, oh, you must teach about gender identity. You must teach about it. And, and, and 
Um, and so people all, all the people that have made the textbooks and, and the curriculum are all jumping at it in the same way. And, um, but you can look at it. And so, you know, really, um, it's not, it is rare. Like, for example, one of the things that I saw coming through said that, you know, intersex conditions are common. I think that they put it at something like 10% of the population. And that's why you had to be really, they were actually framing why you shouldn't use, you know, girl and boy and he and she, because you might be like hurting the feelings of the many intersex kids that might be in the, in the room. One out of every 10. And, Pretty much. <laughs> and, you know, without any understanding, of course, that children with DSDs have a sex um, and that it's, in fact, offensive to, to, to say that they don't. And um, so it, it's actually when, when you take a look at it, it can be really it can be really obvious. Um, and if you have gotten some materials from your teacher, you can just highlight what's there you know, ask for a meeting with a school board member and say, can you see, do you see here? Um, why I might be concerned about this passage here? Um, and, and just, you know, take it step by step. And it doesn't mean that they'll go back and, and, and fix things because they often can't, um, uh, you know, there, there may just may not be, you, you may look at every single health education uh, textbook that's available in California and see the same baloney coming through. Hmm. Um, and, but at least when it's there, they, oh, oh, okay. I recognize that. And then when, when people start talking about like the training that's happening, school board members may start to question that. Um, so it, it just plants a seed. And in the, uh, in the big scale I personally am working on planting seeds, um, uh, mostly with the, I see this much more as an, an issue with the progressive left, where they just need some questions raised to them. Hmm. And it's going to take a long time for them to start to see the problems that they have. Um, that's big picture. In the immediate, it's always about protecting your own kid. And it's about yeah. like, uh, making sure that they have correct information themselves and that you're, that you're, um, you know, working with them in that way and working with your local teacher. But I was really shocked. I, did you see Abigail Schreier's posting yesterday of that? Um, gosh, what was it? A gender support plan. Did you that see that? The schools had made for a child outside of the cognizance of the parent. Yeah, exactly. And that was, I think that was Syracuse, uh, New York that that came from. And this is also what floors me is that um, you as a parent should be checking your local board policies and your state laws around gender identity. In California, if you have a student that's 12 or older that has a mental health issue that sees a school counselor um, and the school counselor seriously believes that there is the danger of violence or physical harm in the home. And that mm -hmm. absolutely happens. And so it's something that, you know, schools have to be careful of. Um, then a school counselor can withhold that from the parents. But that's it. It's withholding information about a mental health condition um, where there is a real threat of violence, a real threat, not a perceived threat by the student, but, but a real threat of violence. Questioning one's identity is erasing their existence is that not 
it is has followed. It has it, it, none of it makes any sense, Benjamin. So what I when I look at that, I'm I'm floored. If there is a school district or a site where they are doing this, like Syracuse apparently was has been, um, they are. You know, I hope parents lawyer up and take them up one side and down the other because that is check your board policy, check your state law. But it is rare for a kid uh, for you to be allowed to withhold information from a parent that could affect their mental health. Um, Yes, you know, that I think so many times some of these outside organizations come in and say, you know, um, it can really uh, uh, rupture family relationship if you tell the parents that a kid has come to you and said that they're gay, for example. And that's one thing. Teachers are going to hear many personal things that a student doesn't want them to share with the parent. Um, And a school and a teacher need to take that into consideration. Sometimes they're a confidant during a, you know, if there's trauma, a family trauma going on at home. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a whole, whole different story from having a form that you fill out where you've developed a plan. And if you've gone into the student information system and like changed pronouns at and put a big, you know, some kind of header on it, don't tell parents, you are at risk district. And, and, you know, I've sat on this on the other side as a school board member, we haven't had this particular type of type of case come forward when I was there. I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened at this point where uh, parents are, where schools are trying to hide this. And of course this happened in Wisconsin and it got shot down in Wisconsin. Um, where on the, the dis- level of the court? Or yeah. What? So parents took it to a, uh, I think it's a state court. I don't think it's a regional court. I think it was a state court in Wisconsin um, uh, where the school had hidden that they had transitioned this, the child at school. And um, the the um, the court found for the parents. Um, and they're going to find, they're going to do that all over the country because, you know, this is um, it's just unconscionable. What what I what they're what you're not taught, and you know, when the training that I got on trans kids, what you're not taught as an educator is that there are so many other things that may be going wrong. That it's so common for a trans kid to have an eating disorder, to be OCD, to have autism, for example, or to be facing some kind of trauma. Um, and I know that many trans activists believe that okay, well, it's it's foundational that if you allow the child to transition and that gender dysphoria will fix everything else but there's no evidence for that it's it could be completely the opposite and so you may have a kid in a mental health crisis who's presenting with i want he him pronouns i'm a girl at school but actually foundationally is ocd is uh, anxious is no longer sleeping and Mm -hmm. that family needs to know what's going on at school so that they can inform the psychiatrist that their kid may be working with or may need to work with and so when school is doing this, they are they, they, they just don't understand how they could ultimately be really harming a child and harming a family. Um, and so, so I hope is a school able to hide mental health issues from parents Let's in say California yeah. disorder. So in California, um, the only way that they can do that is if they think that there is a, um, a, a serious and real risk of violence or harm at home. Um, and otherwise, no, 
if you've gone to the school counselor um, and most teachers with various mental, if they see a kid presenting with um, something that seems like a mental health crisis, will send the child to the school counselor. Um, then the school counselor will pull the family into the conversation. So that's okay. California. It's probably pretty typical across uh, the West, I would say. Um, although there may be variations in terms of you know what they what specifically they report and don't report. Um, but there's nothing about gender dysphoria or the trans ID that makes it, um, you know, something that is taboo um, that, that the school counselors shouldn't share it with the parents. Okay. Um, so they're just they're just going off children at that point. So a child has said, I want to use he him. I want to change my name and I want you not to tell my parents. So. What I'm curious about is how often as, as these lawsuits start to percolate and, and um, you know, families start to take it further, um, how often lawyers are reaching out and, and doing some discovery to figure out who it was that trained the school district. Mm. Um, because I know that Syracuse didn't create that form out of the blue. Um, they worked with a nonprofit that probably had was either regional or national, Glisten or Glad, HRC, and and they or you know a, a local that had gone through national training along that level, and and that form came from somewhere. And I really think it's important for families and their legal counsel to consider pulling in the trainers into any lawsuits. Hmm. Um, Every place that I've seen, I, you know, I've seen some of these lawsuits going forward on CRT, for example, and they're always suing the district. Well, where did the district get the training from? Pull in the trainers too. Um, this, the trainers are, you know, you know, from your experience at Evergreen, there's all these training organizations all over the country, uh, and this is what they do. And nobody holds the, you, you know, you may like attack the college, but um, circling back to that specific. Um, company, that specific organization, that nonprofit that came in and trained, they need to be held accountable too, or they won't change their message. I bet those training companies don't have, well, maybe they do. I don't know if they have whoever hires them sign a non-liability clause, like if they ever get sued for our ideas. If you, Hey, if, if anybody ever comes after you for uh, their child lopping off their breasts because of what we trained, we're, we're, we're not liable for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I, I, a little tongue in I cheek, but I just wonder. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think I honestly think that that these organizations are so confident in themselves, mm-hmm. um, and this this includes the whole range. This includes the DEI trainers too. I don't know if you saw today's New York Times article on on, on Dalton School and the and the um, and the it was more on Paul Rossi there and uh, oh. the the white privileged people getting their privileged. Uh, DEI training and how that is not going well. Um, But I was just so struck at one point, one of the consultants that you said, you know, we're following the research. And I'm just like, you're not, (laughs) there there isn't research that shows that this is effective. Mm -hmm. And if you think that, um, then you are terribly misinformed and you're one of the consultants that they're using. If to go back to what you were saying about check the district policies specifically about the disclosure of 
uh, you know, child state of mind to the parents. Mental One, health. what is the, what should parents be looking for that would give a signal of uh, if there's a strong protection of privacy or how privacy is handled in the school? And secondly, is that one line of attack uh, t- for parents to you know kind of pressure school districts to put in in certain kinds of laws and procedures in place around disclosure of? It is, and it is a way, and um, so you could be proactive, and and so, for example, in California, you could go in and say, look, um, you know, I know that the law says that you have to be, you know, if it's over 12, there has to be evidence of, you know, a, a serious risk of violence in the home to disclose, to not disclose hmm. something like a mental health issue. Um, so what educators aren't taught is anything about gender dysphoria. They're taught about the trans child and the identity. They aren't taught that it's a mental health condition. And they aren't taught that there's anything about gender dysphoria and that there's distress. Um, and so that's where I think that there can be some confusion with the educators. But if you as a parent or a parent group want to go in and say, this is this is what my state law is around disclosure. Gender dysphoria is a diagnosis that, at least for now, is in the DSM. And, um, and it involves significant mental distress. And so we want to be, um, to not it, you know, it's going to very much depend on the type of school board that you have, but we want there to be a policy that makes it clear that um, it's not that you by default tell a parent that it's going to be explicit so that we have it in um, in our policies and there's no confusion with the children and there's no confusion with the parents that if you have a child that wants to talk about transition at school, of course, you know, there may be a teacher that they talk to that the teacher's not going to turn around. But if you're talking about a, a child that wants to bring in all the things that um, are are in the law now in some of our states, like California, where they have the right to um, their preferred pronouns, where they have the right to use the bathroom based on their gender identity instead of their physical sex, um, then that is um, then the parents are pulled in on that. And absolutely, I think that if you are in a district where the uh, elected um, board members are more moderate certainly conservative, um, but certainly moderate. I think that you can be proactive and ask for that type of policy to be in place so that there's no confusion um, mm-hmm. and no um, breaking of the of your state law on it around disclosure to parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the perspective of a parent um, dealing closely with a child who's uh, – thinking through these things. Do you have any tips about, um, do you want to broach into strategies that you've taken? Uh, That's not what we signed up to talk about. Yeah, well, and also I I feel like there are better organizations and people than I to talk about that. Um, I still have a trans-identified kid who's 17, almost 18. And so I, I wouldn't say that I'm the, the person to talk to about being successful in getting a kid to open up their mind and see more. I really feel like it's kind of developmental. Hmm. Um, and, 
and, and I'll be curious to see over time how this plays out. I know that for the younger kids who do this, obviously, you know, there's lots of research on how there's high numbers of desistance rates and it follows kind of a five to seven year arc. I'm curious to see if that's that ends up being what plays out for older um, uh, adolescents and young people as well. Um, but, you know, GenSpect and parents of ROGD kids and transgender trend and fourth wave now, those are the places that I would be looking for some ideas for how to address the kids themselves. So there are organizations and they're rather new, but there are organizations and there's yeah. more to come from what yep. I understand that will provide parents with resources and probably, you know, the list goes on for dealing with, you know stuff within the family. Are there any organizations that you know of that parents uh, and community members can be aware of to understand the proper way to go about policy issues and uh, developing ways of, uh, you know, dealing with gender in the schools and how it's treated in the schools that is proper and that fits into the model of how that bureaucracy runs? There are some, what I'm seeing on the national level are some organizations that are more, they tend to be more focused on, on DEI training and where that's going south. Um, But they will also address gender ideology training. Okay. And so like FAIR, for example, there are places that you could you could definitely reach out to. But right now, I think their resources are more concentrated on um, on the DEI training Um, there. You know, there are many places, though, that will help. There's there's a regional in Arlington, Virginia. There's a um, you know, there's a regional group that really is looking at school board policies. Um, I haven't seen it up at the national level yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we're just behind um, some places like um, I'm fortunate that I've got family members who are from the UK. So that was one of the early places I looked for information and um, beyond transgender trend there, you know, there's safe schools Alliance, um, you know, and, and the UK is relatively small, you know, it's half the size of California in terms of geography. And um, it, I think it's easier to spread the message there that there are some problems going on in our schools and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and with the conservative government, it was a little bit easier to get that listened to. Um, we're, we're pretty far behind uh, in the U.S. with even recognizing that maybe we're giving our kids misinformation. Let alone California being in its own particular. Uh, California is its own peculiar spot, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Do yeah. you see overlap then with regards to how parents are going about the DEI or the CRT push? I and do you have any insight do. into that from your perspective? <laughs> I do. And it's so frustrating because I've got to be honest. I mean, I have had uh, fantastic DEI training and I have had pretty bad DEI training, uh, much more towards the evergreen on, on the scale. And I see, I, I so I, you know, I can, I can really recognize the difference between the two. Um, And I see such a a lack of nuance in the national conversation around it, because um, there's some DEI training where, you know, that actually doesn't, um, uh, that doesn't 
try to make you feel like you're a morally corrupt person based on the color of your skin. That actually, you know, if you're working on it at a school level, for example, where you can make real progress in looking at what systems you have in place that are, you know, barriers to an equitable education for all your students, and you can fix some of them Hmm. based on the training that you have. And, um, you know, in California, up at the community college level, they don't talk about systemic racism, they talk about systemic barriers, um, systemic barriers to access. And that is, you know, a much less loaded way of talking in it, I think a much more accurate way of talking about it. A lot of times I see that we say racism, we actually don't mean racism. We mean things, you know, in California, there's often poverty is the biggest issue um, and language is the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. And what people try to shortcut that and say, oh, it's based on the color of this person's skin. When really, you know, we're, we're a classist society, we are have a majority language, um, and we make assumptions on, you know, about people that are not in the dominant group in many different ways. Um, and talking about it in terms just of racism is, is mm. actually detrimental to progress. Um, and so I've been in trainings that recognize that and move forward. Um, it just, they've been terrific DEI trainings. Um, and, so, and then I've been ones where like, you know, you put posters up all along the side and, you know, list all the ways the white colonials were terrible. Um, and it just like, but how is this going to help me in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's actually, no, you're not. supposed to teach the kids them. Yeah. Well, well, it was, you know, I got to say, at least there was no boat. I watched the boat thing, you know, and the canoe. Like, <laughs> yeah, the canoe, like really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've had um, some bad training, but nothing to the level of that insanity. Yeah. I, but I just I'm, wish that people would open up their minds and, and recognize that when, when they go to a, a school board or when they go to a college and say, you know, all DEI training is bad and critical race theory is terrible, um, then it just it just shuts down a conversation that could happen instead of going in and saying this specific thing. I'm concerned, is this happening? First of all, find out, is it even happening? Because, you know, uh, here it, it, where I live, it wasn't happening. And um, and well, yet we all have of the terms that, that they use are umbrella terms. Uh, the DEI training organizations, they all kind of use the same term like equity. But everybody yeah. has a different word for, uh, meaning of yeah. that. And they all they all have, you know, we're going to help out the marginalized. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I I'm still kind of working through my shell shock and my uh, post uh, evergreen stress. Yeah, I, don't think, so I think whenever that's I PTSD see, there. Whenever I see that material. I can't even look, I have a hard time even looking past those words because I see that, especially in Washington and how it's been rolled out and all yeah. the stuff. Well, that's, that's how I feel about it, the so. word gender. I don't know if you read Kathleen mm. Stock's uh, Material Girls, but you know, I have, she has is a, it out yet? I was going to get it when I, it's in America. You know, America, I'm, so. out, I'm out in the U- I got it from the UK, so I, okay, I don't yeah. wait for these things. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to hopefully get to have her on when it gets released next month, I believe. Well, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation and the book is great. And she lays out like all the different meanings of the word gender. And so to me, I have like 
um, that's such a trigger word for me, gender. So, and I, I also, I try not to use it except for when we're talking about gender identity, because um, typically people actually mean sex and sex-based stereotypes. Yeah. And so I'm like, Jesus, people just say what you mean, yeah. say what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of people trying to fight gender ideology who make that same dumb mistake. And I'm like, I can't even listen to you. I would probably be on your side, but I can't listen to you because you're talking okay. about how there are only two genders and I, and I just can't. Okay. Yeah. So broadly speaking, then there are problems with public education writ large with regards to not just so, public private okay. too. Education at large. And at large. If yep. I know people who are working on stories or content that focuses on education schools. And once you get to that level, you see where most of this stuff is coming from. And those yeah. people matriculate out everywhere. Yes. Um, and there are different issues. I think the two big ones, at least in America, there is a third one, but the first, the other two completely cover up this third one, uh, which would be DEI writ large, the race, the racial conversations in America, and then this gender stuff, which are both obscuring this class consciousness or this class conversation that we could be having that might have material um, there might be material byproducts on focusing on the class of the students going into this, going into a school and seeing how do poor people uh, or, or students who are deficient of family wealth navigate this place as opposed to not. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these different issues, and it seems like if we can reframe it, like I'm kind of feeling intuitively that you're saying if you can reframe your attitude toward the system – of the education of of education understand that it's it it is a bureaucracy it's leveled from the state all the way down to your particular school that can has some wiggle room and how they uh manifest the destiny as it is prescribed to them from higher up the chain but all of the the every level of the system is all staffed by individuals and they yes. all have different levels of commitment and they all have different um expectations political and otherwise that they have to live up to um, so if we can figure out how to reframe the conversations, reframe the language, and probably even just start from the individual to individual level, maybe like start to approach people as human beings yes. and say, here are my yes. concerns. Yeah. I mean, give grace, give grace to your school board, give grace to your, your politicians in the sense that um, left or right, they, they, they think that they know what's best for your kids or for your, you know, local community, um, state and national, they, they, they want the best for, uh, people. You may vehemently disagree that it's the right way forward, but, but shouting and, um, shaming is not ever a path towards progress and you won't get your voice heard if you Hmm. approach it that way. Um, But as I said before, yes, individuals start at the individual level. Um, And I absolutely believe, and I'm an optimist, so I have hope that over time um, people will start to see that what they're teaching is regressive and that what they're teaching is not breaking boxes open, it's making more boxes. And um, I just think that that takes time. And I think for for parents of 
children and teenagers, they don't have time. They, there's no time right now. Your kid is at risk and you need to be, you need to be um, figuring out what's going on at their school. You need to be uh, much more attentive to this or, um, you know, unfortunately you'll be in my shoes and I don't wish that on anybody. Hmm. Any other tips or tricks or insights or anecdotes maybe? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I still remember this, like when, when the, the, the day after my daughter came out to me, um, I was in a book club at the time with 10 other women. And I went to a book club meeting and I looked around the room and I hadn't, I wasn't ready to tell anybody in the room um, about my daughter's pronouncement, but I was just like, there are 10 of us here. And now I'm the fourth woman who has either a kid, a grandchild, or a niece or nephew who has come out as trans. I'm like, this is a 10-member book club. And 40% of us, I'm like, what is going, this can't be right. This is crazy. And while it ended up being very hard uh, for me personally, because there was not a lot of local, uh, there was not a lot of information on, on, on Google, for example, that I could find. It actually took me a long, long time to find that information. I was super lucky in that locally, I had these women in my book club who were complete support, who completely understood where I was coming from. Of those three other kids that were trans at the time, within a year after that, two had desisted. Um, and the only one that is still trans is, is um the kid that um, she was medicalized at starting at about 13 um, mm. and had a double mastectomy at 16. Mm. Um, and so I, I just look at that and go, well, I'm, I'm grateful for, I'm always grateful for the other parents that, you know, that reach out and that have wise words to share about um, their own experience and, and, um, the way they've moved forward and either the way they've come to some acceptance with it, because my goodness, parents' mental health around this. Hmm. Um, when you have an adult kid in particular, it's just, I see some parents just struggling and struggling. Um, and you need to be able to come to a point where you, you've come to terms with their own decisions and that, that they're adults and, and kind of let that go. Mm-hmm. Um and, um, but also for, for the younger, when you have a younger kid, you know, there are some really practical ways to move forward. And I think that some, um, you know, some of the therapists and some of the organizations and parent groups out there have really um, given a roadmap that, that's really helpful. They're not alone. They are not alone. Well, I think that that's a good place to end it, unless you had one more lob. That is it. Thank you so much, Benjamin. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm curious to see what you end up um, portraying me as. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Should I surprise you? I'll I'll surprise you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'll be I'll be happily surprised. I hope I'm not freaked out. (laughs) Thank you. You won't be Cthulhu. I promise you that. Oh, thank you. Small small favors there. All right. Take care. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.